Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. All right, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host, Chris Flaming, here's usual. And today I have the honor of hosting Azriel Baird on the podcast. He is a trust and estate attorney with Farrell Fritz, headquartered in New York. Ozzy advises clients on wealth preservation, estate, and gift planning. He also assists during all phases of estate administration. Ozzy, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, let's jump in. All right. So I'd like you to briefly take me through uh, what led you to where you are today. So I want to say I had an idea. I wanted to be a lawyer growing up. My father was a attorney. Uh, although he does much different work than I do. He's a criminal court attorney, but I used to go into work with him, sit in the jury box, watch trial. Uh, it excited me. Found myself in law school trying to kind of get a sense of where I wanted to be in the law. They recommended income tax as a class. I took it figuring I would hate it. Uh, it actually turned out to be a lot more interesting than I intended it to be. I took that, took estate planning, and it really snowballed from there. That is not the the comment that I would have thought you have said when you took a tax class. And I know. I thought it was going to be like, uh, yeah. I thought it was what was something. it? What was it that was interesting about it that you were that you were surprised by? The way that you can minimize tax legally, okay. where there are the code is volumes and volumes, and there are regulations in there. But if you look for for the loopholes, they're mm-hmm. they're there, yeah. and you could really minimize tax without doing anything illegal uh, if you know what the law is. Yeah. Which can make a big difference for clients. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big value. Okay, so uh, if there was, what's something that you wish you knew when you started out uh, in your practice that you know now? So if you go back and talk to the younger you, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say families don't always get along, even if they tell you that it's 100% everybody loves each other. No. In the back of your mind, realize (laughs) that uh, if you're rude to Aunt Sally on Thanksgiving, she might want to write you out of her will. So be careful. Yeah, I can't believe that people would say one thing and then that actually isn't isn't the truth. (laughs) Okay, and is there something that you especially like about your practice, the focus of your practice right now? Uh, absolutely. With estate planning, you're really dealing with individuals, trying to get them where they want to go to. You're not dealing with faceless corporations. Um, you're really a counselor, a family counselor. So my clients call me, even if there's nothing that they need specifically, they'll say, you know what, my son's not doing well. I don't know if he's going to go to college. Maybe we could talk about how he's going to receive his share of my estate. I, I thought I was going to give it to him outright, but that not not looking like a good idea. Um, so you, you get to talk to people, become a real family counselor. And again, you're you're helping people. You're not necessarily working with a corporation or suing somebody. It's more getting people their goals and, and making sure that things go smoothly. Yeah, there's a person and a face there. And exactly. uh, it's I, you probably find this to be true as I do is uh, 
it's amazing what people will share with you, not even related to what it is that you're working with them on, right? Uh, no, <laughs> they're stuff. You feel, I, sometimes I go home and think to myself, wow, that person shared that with me. And maybe they've never told that to anyone else or didn't feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, no, people, people share a lot, their feelings about each other. When it's couples, I tell you, you cannot have secrets. I represent you both jointly. Yeah. Um, so they talk about difficulties they've had in their marriage and they don't know where things are going to go yeah. or difficulties with their children or their parents. It's a very personal part of the law. Okay, so that's the part that you really like about your practice focus. Are there some areas of your uh, practice that you find the most challenging? So it's probably not true to say that, you know, we love every single thing about our job. Right, sure. I mean, I'd I'd say specifically dealing with the U.S. tax code, it is ever-changing and Mm -hmm. nearly impossible to, to master. You really have to keep on top of changes in the law. From when I started practice, federal exemption has been all over the place, yeah. three and a half million, five million, 10 million, totally gone, 12 million. Mm-hmm. Um, so just trying to keep abreast of the law is constantly a challenge. Okay. So let's, let's jump into some of that, the estate stuff that you're talking about. And we're going to, we're going to go under the premise that um, we're talking to someone that really doesn't have any idea about the terms or the terminology or what they mean. So let's just start with some basics. Um, how would you define estate planning? And is it is it just for people who are who are rich? Uh, no, ab- absolutely not. Estate planning is really getting a suite of documents in place to both govern what happens with your assets during your life, and also make sure that when you pass, the assets pass in the way that is a tax efficient and b makes sense for the family. So it's really a, a dual use. So for things like during life, a power of attorney, a healthcare directive, or living will um, versus something at death, like a will or a trust that'll come into effect once you pass away. But even if you don't have a lot of assets, as simple as I need to have a guardian name for my minor children in my will, everybody should have that in place. With with minor children, for sure. So now there's this term that gets thrown around, which is wealth preservation. So is that part of estate planning or is it the same thing as estate planning? So how, how do you delineate those two? Well, I, I think it's it's a part of, of planning for sure. You, I always like to say, don't let the tax planning wag the entire plan. It's important depending on what the assets are, but it has to make sense for, for you and your family. So if you're in a place where you have a taxable estate, we could talk about opportunities that are available to you, like making lifetime gifts or splitting up interests to try to get minority discounting when you pass away. But if the bottom line is, I know that my daughter X is not good with money, her money needs to go into a trust, no matter if it's going to save estate tax or not, she can't manage money by herself. I need somebody kind of looking over her shoulder and helping her through the process. So it's a part of it. But again, you can't let that control the entire plan. All right. And from from an estate standpoint, um, you also hear this term thrown around, uh, revocable and irrevocable. So we, in the industry, we just think, well, everybody knows what that means. Um, but a lot of people might not or don't understand what it means. So go through that with us if you could. So those, so those terms typically refer to trusts. Mm-hmm. So what is called a revocable trust with an R is used almost like a will substitute. It's a trust that you establish during your life. You typically have total control over that trust. You could amend it. You could revoke it, as the name suggests. And if you have that type of trust, your will typically says, I give all my property when I pass away to this revocable trust. And then that revocable trust contains all of the provisions for what happens to the property. 
And there's benefits to using that kind of structure. One of the biggest benefits is the probate process. And I don't know if you want me to go through in detail what that is, but in, you can on a high level, sure. And in, in, in a big picture view, when you pass, you have assets that are considered probate assets. And those are assets that you have to go to the surrogate's court for the county where you live, make paper filings, wait as long as it takes a surrogate to get around to stamping and looking through what you've filed with them. And then that asset is probated and it goes and passes pursuant to your will, your executor controls it. An asset that is not probate, for example, something that was already owned by your revocable trust when you die, the process is much simpler for the administration of that asset. The trustee, whoever the trustee that takes over is, has authority to deal with it right away. You don't have to wait weeks or even months to go to court to be able to deal with that asset. So we have lots of clients who might have a family business and they want to make sure the business can run without interruption when somebody dies. So they'll transfer that interest to the revocable trust so that the trustee can deal with it right away and not have to worry about going to court. Um, Also down the line, if there's a trust set up for somebody under a revocable trust, if you want to change the trustees, you won't have to go to court if it's a revocable trust that has the structure in it, whether compared to if it's a trust under a will, you have to go to court, you have the surrogate looking over your shoulder for whatever you want to do, and there's delay. So that's the revocable part of the world. Irrevocable trusts are done for a couple of reasons as well. Typically, they're done when you want to make a lifetime gifting and get an asset out of your estate. So I have something that's worth $100,000 today. I think it's going to be worth a million dollars in 10 years. I want to gift it to an irrevocable trust today. So whatever it's worth when I pass away is going to not be included in my taxable estate. All that appreciation is going to be out of my estate. And the way to do that is to give it to an irrevocable trust. Because if you give it to a revocable trust where you control it, the IRS says, it's really like you're putting it in your own pocket. You could take it out. You could put it in. We're not letting you get it out of your estate when you pass. So That makes total sense. Thank you for clearing that up. That was a very succinct way to describe that. So what about advanced directives? You kind of mentioned those, but that's kind of a fancy two-word combo. Um, is there so, an easy way to explain what those are? So yeah, it's a big picture. There are three main documents that we suggest any client has. The first one is a durable power of attorney. That's a document that you sign naming somebody to have financial power of attorney over your assets. It is a lot of power that is gifted. I want to make that clear to people every time they sign. This person tomorrow can go into your bank account and make a big transfer or withdrawal. They could sell your house. They have to act in your best interest, but it's a lot of power. But it's a very, very useful document. If you're unavailable for whatever reason. You're in a nursing home. Somebody needs to pay the bills, right? This person has access to your accounts. They could pay the bills on your behalf or you're traveling and you need to have some transaction completed. They can complete it on your behalf. So that's a power of attorney. Next, we usually talk about a healthcare proxy. And that's a document where you name an individual to make healthcare decisions on your behalf if you are unable to do so. So We've all read about those cases where there's a fight about keeping somebody on a respirator or not. Uh, It's a very hard place to be in. And without having that document, hospitals are really going to give people a hard time about deciding care. And again, I explained to people that those documents are not effective if you can make the decision yourself. It's only if you are unable to make that medical decision does that document come into play. So you would name somebody to make those decisions for you. And then lastly, a living will is kind of, if there's nobody around to make those decisions for you, is there a baseline of what you want? I like you would not be want to kept alive for a certain period of time, depending on your condition. So 
those three together we kind of call the advanced directives. Now, is the the DNR, which is a do not resuscitate, is that part of a living will typically, or yes, is that a and, different document? I mean, the hospital could have their own DNR that they'll ask yeah. you to sign type deal, but it, okay. it that is included within what is typically in a, in a directive. Okay. All right. Because I, I I do get questions about that sometime when people are thinking about those. All right. So how about a state administration? Another kind of big fancy word there. Is that before or after someone is gone? So a state administration comes hand in hand with the state planning. So we do all this wonderful planning for people. This is where your assets are going to go when, when you pass. And then the person passes away, right? So what happens? That's when a state administration comes into place. And we work with the person who's named as the executor of the estate. That's the person who's typically responsible for gathering all the assets filing any tax returns, paying them out to the beneficiaries. So we work with them to get the assets that need to go where they need to go distributed. So we'll file court filings, we'll file tax returns. And it's a good piece of being an estate planner to also be an administrator because you really learn from mistakes. What was drafted that we now have the problem on the administration side. Um, and the firm here, we have a great estate administration practice in addition to planning. So it really, they work hand in hand. Okay. And have you seen in your experience, like with, with the pandemic and everything, have you seen the length of time on a state administration? Has that stayed the same? Has it gotten longer? Um, the, answer been, would, what, yeah. the answer would be 100% more delay. Uh, courts are backed up. There are various counties, at least in New York, where you file something, they will not even look at it, no matter what it says, for six to eight weeks. Like it'll just be in a queue and they can't even see it. Yeah. Um, so it has caused a lot of delay. And we had a lot of deaths, as you know, during COVID. So there was a lot of administration to do, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got to manage expectations with the clients with that, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, it's never an easy answer to them other than this is why you learn on the back end. Oh, maybe I should have used a revocable trust and Mm -hmm. pre-funded it before the person died. It would have saved me a lot of delay. Yeah, because they'd have access to that stuff right away. Okay. Now you, uh, on your website, it says you have a specialty in gift tax planning. So what, what does that entail? What is it? And do you have kind of a favorite strategy or tactic that, that works really well? Sure. So, so gift tax on the federal level, right, hits you at roughly over $12 million in assets per person. So it doesn't affect everybody. Right. And that number, that $12 million, as I alluded to before, has gone up and down. We don't know where it's going to go. It's set to go back down to about five and change at the end of 2025. Um, so what we talk about with people is, Consider gifting assets now, either to an irrevocable trust or outright to an individual that you think may appreciate so that the appreciation gets out of your estate and you're not taxed on it when you pass away because it's a unified system, the gift and the estate tax system. So if I give away $12 million, I'm taxed on the first dollar I own when I die. If I give away $3 million, right, I pay no gift tax because I have $12 million of exemption, but then I have less exemption. When I die, I'll only have $8 million, right? Or even a little more, but it's a unified system. So we'll say, think about what assets you own. What do you think is going to appreciate, right? So that's one side of it. The, the other side of it being your tax basis in the asset, right? So when you pass away, you get a basis adjustment to what the value is for the date of death, typically. Or sometimes called it step up. Correct. Step up yeah. or a step down, depending step on what down, the asset right? So if you have a very valuable piece of property that you bought for a dollar, your heirs would inherit it with a date of death value, which means if they were to go turn around and sell it, 
the next day, they would not have income tax gain on the sale of that asset. Whereas if you gift it, that same asset to them, they're going to get your current basis of the asset so that if it's sold, there is going to be gain. So you kind of have to weigh the benefits of, I have a very low basis in this asset versus I think this asset's going to skyrocket in value. So we typically try to find basis uh, assets that have higher basis that we think are going to appreciate greatly. And then there's all be, sorts of, yeah. That'd be the sweet spot. Exactly. But that's also an educated guess. Correct. I mean, if we all had, <laughs> we had crystal balls, we'd all be living on our own island somewhere. So that's it's hard. That's right. That's right. So, so, right, uh, yeah. so right now I've been uh, starting to do some work with NFTs, which mm-hmm. are highly volatile, right? Mm-hmm. And we're getting a hard time just trying to even value these things. Right. But those are typically assets, if you get in early enough, where they could go really high mm-hmm. and your basis is not necessarily super low, mm-hmm. um, so that you might want to gift those assets. Yeah, over for later when they go up a lot. Yeah. Okay, so outside of your profession, uh, is there something that you're really passionate about personally? Let's see. I'm a, I'm a big cook. My wife is okay. happy about that. Uh, I like to travel, like to cook, although travel's been curtailed a lot during... Uh, yes. COVID. Any particular uh, type of cooking that you like to do? Any type um, of cuisine? I'm a big Asian food fan, so okay. stir fries and stews. and Awesome. That's what's, what's got to happen tonight when I get home. My wife's uh, expecting a dinner, so... <laughs> All right. So, well, let's, let's, let's move along. So, I'm curious, like, going forward... What do you really consider as the biggest opportunity that you see in the future for you from a professional standpoint? About three years ago, I moved to Farrell Fritz, where I am now, um, from a much smaller firm in New Jersey. I'm now in New York, and now we have about 100 attorneys. And really, the collaboration that is available here uh, is opening a lot of doors. We have a tremendous, in addition to estate planning estate litigation practice, right? So we have national reputation for this, and this is bringing in very complicated, sophisticated work through the litigation that funnels down to us that we now need to plan with. Um, so I'm really able to bring my colleagues in. They bring me in. Uh, and the collaboration is really a great opportunity. Uh, also, the law changes, right? They're annoying. They're a big challenge, but they also generate the need for planning. Every other minute, it seems like they're changing the law on us. And if there's a new administration in place and the tax laws get changed, it's going to be an impetus for a lot of people to do planning. Especially if that uh, exemption amount gets sunset down um, from where it is now, that could be uh, cause a lot of, of changes to happen, or at least people to look at their plans that they have in place. Okay, so on the flip side of that, what do you what do you see as your probably your biggest challenge that's facing the industry, or maybe your firm heading into the heading into the future? I mean, one challenge is COVID, right? Not everybody's always in the office every day. It's hard to have that collaboration. People aren't here. And obviously, we all hope that that's going to end soon. But it is a challenge. Um, But more on the tax law side of things, the same way that it's an opportunity when the law changes, you really have to take the time to learn the law. So recently, the SECURE Act proposed regulations came out, and those deal with how your retirement plans pass. Retirement plan is another example of a non-probate asset. It passes by way of beneficiary designation, right? So the law used to be up until a few years ago, if you inherited an IRA from a parent, for example, you could use your own life expectancy as a child in order to take out the required minimum distribution every year. 
And that law has really been turned on its head. And now the maximum amount is 10 years that you can use to take out that, that benefit. And there's all sorts of complicated rules for if a trust is a beneficiary and using the beneficiary's age. So you really need to, to stay on top of your game. We'll see what happens with the SECURE Act. One of the things I noticed is they might push the RMD age even further. Uh, it used yeah. to be 70 and a half. Now it's 72. And they're talking about it phasing into age 75. So we'll see where all that goes. Okay. So... Ozzy, if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what do you? Uh, what is the best way to do that? So you can go to the firm's website, which is www.farrellfritz.com, F-A-R-R-E-L-L-F-R-I-T-Z. Okay. Um, and if you need me specifically, you could always give me an email, abear, A-B-A-E-R, at farrellfritz.com. That sounds like a nickname. Hey, Bear. Yeah. When you, have the la- when you have the last name Bear, you, you've heard it all. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. My last name gets slaughtered. I don't even have any nicknames. It's so bad. Okay. Ozzy, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Really good information in a short period of time. And I want to thank everyone for listening, tuning in, and watching the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to raise the retirement confidence of everyday people to another level one show at a time. Thank you all for tuning in, watching, listening, and thank you, Ozzy, for being here. Everyone take care and be well. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.